Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, here at Jew in the City, we do a lot of um, profiling of interesting Orthodox Jews. So often in the media, we hear only the worst stories, we hear about the most extreme situations, we hear about the biggest crooks, the biggest criminals, um, and far too infrequently um, do we hear the positive stories. Um, and what's so incredible about this network that we have here is that not only do people constantly send me great news articles when you know things actually do come out and things are reported, we have this great community of people that let us know about um, Orthodox Jews that we should let the world know about, either people that we can profile or people who have passed on um, who should be remembered. Um, and I think an area that sort of especially hot right now is STEM, STEM, especially for women. I think this is an area that in the world at large, we're trying to figure out how to get girls more involved in STEM. Um, and anyway, we heard from one of our fans, one of our readers uh, a little while ago um, about someone that she thought deserved some uh, publicity. And when we heard about it, we were really blown away. Um, not just what this woman, uh, Dr. Edith Lukens had accomplished, but um, really what a trailblazer she was um, when she had accomplished it. Um, and this was a woman, an Orthodox woman involved in STEM in a time when I think almost no women in general were involved in STEM. Um, and so we have today um, her daughter, Anne Greenfield, to talk to us about her mother. Um, Anne, thank you so much for uh, calling in today. It's my pleasure to talk about my mother and to share so, with, with you all a little bit about her. Yeah, so um, if you could let us know, um, where did her life begin? Where did she grow up? Um, you know, where was she born? Where was she raised? Um, where did she move to as an adult? Okay. Uh, my mother was born in Poland, in Brzezin, in 1921. Um, it's a city outside of Lodz. She, um, she was the eldest of four children. Her father was an, um, a wealthy businessman. He owned an import-export of liqueurs and chocolates. And thank God my grandfather had the sense in 1930. He said the air is not good for Jews. He was not a religious Jew. He was a labor Zionist. And he got out. He sold everything, took his wife and, at the time, three children, and they left for Brooklyn. And so how old was your mother when, so she was eight years old when they uh, moved to Brooklyn? She was not, She was actually nine years old um, when she started first grade in Brooklyn, in public school in Brooklyn, and she flunked. And at mm. that point in time, she said she will never embarrass her family again. And um, she ended up being the valedictorian of her class at 16. Oh, wow. So... So she was raised, so your your grandfather was not observant, and was your grandmother not observant either? Um, they Actually, they kept a, co a semi-kosher home officially, because my grandmother grew up in a kosher home, um, but they weren't very particularly careful. Um, and my grandfather at the time, when my mother was growing up, he was not a religious man, and she was raised with minimal religion, uh, knew she was Jewish, they spoke Yiddish in the house. Her father was a playwright and poet, uh, not for a living, but for a hobby. He became a, uh, got into women's clothing. He was a, a wholesale jobber. And um, my grandmother was a stay-at-home 
stay-at-home mom, but my mother um, excelled at school. And at 16, because of the financial situation, when she graduated high school, he thought that she would become a secretary and get a good job as a secretary. So she enrolled in a WPA program um, in the summer but uh, for to learn to type. The typewriters didn't come in. Instead, she took a psychology class, and she met my father, who was eight years older than her, who said to her, you are too smart to become a typist or a secretary, and you were going to college. And he, yeah. she also fell in love, and yeah. he would not marry her until she finished college at Brooklyn College. And yeah. she finished it four years later and got married. So now where does the Jewish piece come in? Um, so we, we sort of have well, an idea. Is, <laughs> well, the Jewish piece, she was always Jewish. My father was right, a right. traditional Sorry, Jewish. Sorry, the, the, the observant side. Okay, my father was always observant. Uh, when they got married, they kept a kosher home and Shemr Shabbos home. Um, she learned a lot um, over the years. Um, and when she actually got her Ph.D. in 1957, which was the year after I was born, um, her father was so delighted that she got a Ph.D. He said, what can I do? I'm so proud of you. She said, I want you to redo your whole kitchen, make it 100% kosher, so I can bring my kids home. Yeah. And, uh, and so I didn't know anything other than a very kosher Shoma Shabbos grandparents um, yeah. because that's sort of how, what they became by the time I was um, being, being brought home visit, to visit New York. Um, so things definitely changed in their lives as well. Um, my mother. Where, where did she? Where, where were you? Where were you raised? Well, my mother uh, got her PhD in Eugene, Oregon, and I was born there. And then she mm -hmm. went. They moved to um, Miami, mm -hmm. to Coral Gables, and she taught there, University of Miami. And then she uh, got a tenured position at Rensselaer Polytech Institute in Troy, New York, and we lived in Albany where mm -hmm. I did all my, most of my elementary and through high school education. So and this was not, a, we're, we're talking that this is like in the, she got her BA in 1942 and she got her PhD in 1957. There were not many women in general in this, uh, in this time in U.S. history or maybe even in the world getting PhDs in mathematics. Um, and then one percent, 1% of the women in mathematics, 1% of the PhDs given were women at that time. 1%. Wow. So then very small. In terms of, um, uh, Jews or Orthodox Jews and then Orthodox Jewish women, I mean, she probably, she must've been like one of the first. Uh, possibly. I don't think she ever put herself in that category. Um, she never thought of herself really as a woman. Separately, or as a Orthodox woman, she kind of blended well with everybody. She was well loved. She worked well with her colleagues, um, but she also did a lot of studies on gender differences in processing and in math. She got fellowships from the Guggenheim to study differences between women and men in math in high school. Uh, she actually came to the conclusion that well, it's good for a boy, uh, for boys to have girls in the class, it's not good for the girls to have boys in the class. Um, they they sort of act act dumbed down 
for the boys. Um, and even though they ex- girls tend to excel in mathematics in elementary school, they don't do as well in high school if it's a mixed class. Mm-hmm. Were there ever any challenges for her as an Orthodox Jewish woman in terms of her career? I mean, I think probably in general academia is a, you know, it's not like a, an 80-hour work week type of job. So um, were there ever any challenges around Yentif or Shabbos or anything like that? I don't know. She made it she made it look easy. She always said that math was a great deal for a woman because she could just take her legal pad paper wherever she went and a pen, and she'd take us to the park, and she would work on a theorem or an article. And then, of course, she switched over to computers when computers were beginning to uh, be used in the 60s and 70s. Um, she made it look easy. Um, she did not. She was not the greatest cook. Her specialties was baking. My father did most of the cooking in the house. My father did also the sewing in the house. Hmm. So I think a lot of it was that they did share a lot of the responsibilities of the home. I am one of five children. Um, I was the fourth. But um, I think to, when I think about it, for her to go back and finish her Ph.D. with four children is pretty spectacular. Um, I did my. I got my PhD. I was just pregnant with my first child. I don't think I would have done it otherwise. It's very hard with young children. Yeah, just life in general. Like surviving with young children is hard in general. Um, and how was she? How was she regarded in the Orthodox world? Was she looked at? Did people look up to her? Was it sort of were people surprised? What what type of um, you know feedback did she get from the Jewish community? Well, I think she was uh, very, very admired. Um, she was the first woman to, be, to serve on the board of directors of the Orthodox Union. Hmm. She was a um, founding and sustaining member of the Maimonides Day School in Albany. She was, spoke often for Chabad Lubavitch. She spoke for the Chabad Women's Organizations. Um, she led a Mishnah group um, later after I left the house. Um, I wasn't even aware of it. She was president of the Benos Israel Mikva Society. She kind of fitted in wherever she was. She never, she loved people, got along with everybody. Anytime she took a plane ride or a train ride, she made a best friend by the person who she was sitting next with and would start corresponding with that person. Um, very few people necessarily knew who she was, that she was, necess- you know, that she was, in fact, it's a very funny story. <laughs> Um, a student came to ha- interview at the University of Miami, saw her there in the office, assumed she was the secretary, asked him if she, asked her if she could make him a cup of coffee. She yeah. did, then sat down behind the desk and interviewed him. And he was mortified that he thought that she had been the secretary. She just didn't, she wasn't presumptuous in any way. I love and that. As she goes older... I once went to a donor meeting um, with uh, a man in the organization, and the donors looked at him and said, um, tell us about the wonderful work that you do. And then he turned to me and said, well, actually, you're going to want to talk to her. So I've had, uh, you know, I don't have any, I don't have three letters next to my name, but I've definitely experienced, um, you know, something similar to that. Um, What about um, people that she impacted? I mean, clearly she impacted um, her children, um, and it sounds like, not only was she able to balance, you know, the career and um, and being a great mother, that you can have such positive uh, memories of how she's made it seem so um, sort of seamless and effortless. Because I think that that we're all trying to figure that out. 
I mean, it seems like she impacted your career in terms of you getting a PhD, but um, do you know of any other young ladies or women that um, kind of her example impacted? Oh, for sure. Um, first of all, she was she especially liked to mentor women, and um, she made a, a point of uh, selecting female graduate students to mentor if she could. Um, in terms of, there are many, many people who I've met, especially during the Shiva, who came, men and women, who said, you know, I wouldn't have gotten into computer science if it wasn't for your mother. I wouldn't have gotten into engineering. I wouldn't have gotten into um, math. Um, she was she was very helpful. She would spend time with people. She wrote tons of letters of references for for children of friends and to encourage them to continue in the sciences. Um, she was the first um, woman to be appointed full professor at RPI, which is equivalent, they like to think of themselves equivalent to MIT. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she taught there from 1962 to 2002. Hmm. That's a long span. Um, and she was, you know, honored by many. In fact, they have a oiled portrait of her, uh, full-size oiled portrait of her at Rensselaer Polytech because she was one of their professors emeritus. Um, In terms of, there are a lot of students. um, I mean, every year, every other year she had another student, uh, graduate student with her. And I have many beautiful gifts that were given to her by her Asian, especially her Asian students. I have silk scarves and shawls and pens and and um, uh, pins that were given to her by her students as in, in appreciation for the time she devoted to them. And she kept in touch with them and had pictures of their children on her bulletin board. Of her, um, so she she loved everybody. She really did. Hmm. Um, and her math and, came easily. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to say her math came to her easily. She had, she just had that type of mind. Um, she could think up theories, and she loved giving us math puzzles. Um, it was just, it was just the way she thought. And did you ever talk to her about science in Torah? Was that ever a topic that came up? I mean, she was clearly a very scientifically minded person. Um, but also a person of faith. Um, I I can't say I really had a discussion with her of science and Torah, but it was just it, she was just very comfortable with her Jewishness. She always told people, um, you know, that I'm an Orthodox Jew. I need Shabbos off. She made, in fact, I, this is a, a story I heard only after the fact. Her secretary at Rensselaer Polytech was a graduate student's wife who uh, was very nervous about asking for the holidays off because it was the first year that she was working there. And she, she didn't know my mother was observant or not, but my mother told her, I'm going to be taking all of next, the next month off, basically, because of the ho- way the holidays turn out. And she said, oh, I, I need some time off also because of the Jewish holidays. So my mother said, fine, don't worry about it. I'll go to the chairman and tell him that you need the month off. When, when I have the days I have off, you have off. Sure. And so she was always sort of a champion for other people as well, and also for other, other religions as well. She was very um, respectful of her, uh, her students of other faiths who needed time off or, 
or needed uh, to participate in religious ceremonies and uh, wanted them to have that opportunity to have their have time for their faith as well. Do you know if she impacted anyone Jewishly? You said that she impacted people in terms of uh, going into science or that sort of a thing, but do, we, do you know if any of her students um, got more interested in observance because of her example? Um, I can't say, but I, I can say that our family, as a, our family was very influential. Uh, her role in the OU and the NCSY and my brother's uh, part involvement in the OU definitely um, impacted many, many people's lives. Um, my mother also was sort of a little bit of a matchmaker. She liked doing that on the side, and she was always trying to get her Jewish students to date each other, and sometimes mm -hmm. were actually successful. So um, I, don't, I don't know specific stories um, how she made people more observant, but let's put it this way. She had um, five children. Um, she had four observant children. Um, when she passed away, she had 22 grandchildren, 13 great-grandchildren. She now has 56 great-grandchildren. Wow. Um, most of them are Orthodox uh, observant Jews, so pretty, pretty, pretty impressive, uh, considering that she also got the highest status in her field as well. I mean, I, I didn't realize how awesome this, uh, she was until later in life when I became a mother and was trying to uh, my work profession and raising a family. Right. In fact, she, uh -huh. she was a little disappointed with me because I did not continue in my science field. I found it too, I personally found it too difficult to straddle both worlds. Mm -hmm. um, how many of the descendants have gone into something science or math related? Oh, that's a good, <laughs> good question. Well, um, hmm. I don't Ballpark. know. I yeah, really can't, can't tell you specifically. Um, I have a two. I have a brother. I had a brother who's a psychiatrist. A brother who's a political scientist. A brother who's a biophysical engineer. A brother who's a rabbi. Um, I I did a my PhD in biochemistry. Um, mm. So I think we definitely had a science leaning, that's for sure. Um, mm -hmm. My own children, I, I have um, I have a daughter-in-law who's a doctor, mm -hmm. and I have, but I can't say that we we. Uh, it's actually that was my mother was an amazing teacher. She was able to teach me calculus in one week, um, wow. and I in university my had an instructor who I couldn't understand, and I came home for the winter break, and she taught me calculus in one week. She just was an amazing teacher. What about um, science and math being taught in Jewish schools? Was she happy? Is that ever anything that came up, like what your curriculum was like? Was it good enough in her mind, um, of, you know, sort of the dual curriculum? Um, well, she was very, very, very involved in the curriculum at Maimonides Day School in Albany, but that school opened after I left. Um, I went to a, a Salman Schechter Day School for elementary school and then went on to junior high and high school in a public school setting. My brothers all left um, Albany area and went to yeshivas out of town. Um, 
my, I think my mother um, felt that the schools needed to emphasize math and science, and wherever she could, she promoted um, curriculum that um, to improve that in the high schools, Jewish high schools. Um, she also did a major tutorial program at Rensselaer Polytech for their under um, under let's see the the, children, the the students who were coming in with inferior math backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So she actually helped tutor them, and she came up with programs to um, help them facilitate their math abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and have people, I mean, we're so happy to um, to share, you know, this information with the world about her because she's such an inspiration. Have other places covered her? Has, has she been written up in articles or books or anything like that? Well, she has a Wikipedia <laughs> uh, article devoted to her. Yes, she's, she, well, even the... Um, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, where she was a visiting professor, um, wrote a very beautiful um, obituary about her. And they wrote, um, Professor Edith H. Lukens was one of the foremost mathematicians and math educators in America. Um, and I thought, I thought that was, from coming from that, that place was pretty, import, pretty amazing, especially since she was a visiting professor at the age of 70 there. And it was, we went to visit her. I brought my four children to see her at West Point. At the time, I only had four. And everyone on campus was saluting this woman wearing a shaitel and a long, you know, skirt and conservatively dressed. And I didn't know what she was doing there, but she, she actually, let's see what they said, um... She worked on applied number theory there. In addition, in teaching cadets, she was taken by the faculty development process at the academy, and she conducted analysis and wrote an article about the process preparation for college mathematics teaching, the West Point model. She also did develop computer and calculator programs for bringing technology into pre-college and college mathematics education. So she was, um, this was while she was at West Point. So she was always busy thinking of ways of making math more accessible to students. And um, she also worked specifically on applied math and how it could be used in things like cryptography, geometry, modeling, math education, algebra, number theory, and applied math for for engineering. Hmm. So a lot really of different fields. Actually, um, it just surprised me when you said that she went to West Point with a shaitel. I'm thinking that she marries someone who's observant. She's not as observant, but she really, she took this on fully. Um, was, it, was it a process in terms of her Judaism that over time she became sort of more observant, or did she kind of jump all in from the beginning? Well, I think the, our family as a whole became more obser- more outwardly observant. I think there was in, inward observance right from the start. But I, you could see that with my brother's bar mitzvah pictures. Um, my eldest brother, his bar mitzvah, was unfortunately on a Thursday. My grandfather, my grandfather had passed away just that month, so it was very quiet. There's no pictures. Then my second brother's 
a bar mitzvah was in Miami. My mother's wearing a sleeveless dress. I'm wearing a sleeveless dress. Um, the next bar mitzvah is in Albany. I'm wearing a hat. My mother's wearing a hat. The next bar mitzvah, my mother's wearing a shaitel. I'm not wearing a hat. <laughs> so I think, and as my brothers went off to yeshiva, I think they they brought home more observance, more outward observance. Um, but my mother taught at Brooklyn College in the 40s in a hat and gloves because that's what women had to do. You didn't Got have it. a choice. And she always wore hats. I'm sorry? Right, so it, was just, it was just a more modest time in general for everyone then. At the time, the 40s, yes, that was the proper dress. Um, my mother was a very, she was a, uh, had a good fashion sense. She always, people always liked what she wore and always commented on her outfits. Um, and she enjoyed wearing hats. And she, mm-hmm. ta- she wore hats afterwards as well. But she, in her, I think when she turned gray, she started wearing a shade till full time. I'm pretty impressed with the balance that she had because normally a lot of times the busy career woman, sometimes the kids have gripes about how they were a mother. A lot of times the, you know, mathematical sort of brainiac type does not dress so well. So um, she really sounds like she was um, really uh, balanced and was able to kind of live in both worlds and balance kind of, you know, different sides of her life. So that's, um, she really sounds like a remarkable human being. Well, I think I was lucky uh, in some ways being the only girl. We had a special relationship, um, being that um, we were the you know two ladies, the late two little girls of the house, and she uh, she would take me out to some of her conferences. Um, I got to go with her to Wolof Astoria when I was about ten years old, and we ordered in grapefruit half on ice. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And she was she was actually speaking there at the at a conference, and she brought me. Um, books to read while she was there, so I would keep busy. Um, but, I, yes, I was very, very blessed by having a mother like her, and my children were very affected by her. In fact, I was just thinking about it. My, my eldest daughter wrote a composition. She was supposed to write, who's the woman that um, has, who's the woman in your past who is your hero? And it was my, my mother, she said, my grandmother, the Grand Mather, and um, she wrote a whole art, a whole article about my mother in terms of how she and she was very close to my children. Even though she lived on the East Coast, she came mm-hmm. out at least twice a year. We went and visit her once a year as well. But she always was writing and call, she called once a week. She'd speak to each of the ch- children. She sent articles. She sent things that she thought would interest them. She actually mm-hmm. liked my. My daughter's storytelling, so she asked her to send tapes so that she could listen to her listen to it on a tape cassette. Mm. Um, so she was very involved, and she was just and she always remembered our birthdays, uh, everybody's birthdays, our our her children's, her thirteen, her twenty two grandchildren, her thirteen great grandchildren. Everybody got a birthday card with a check inside. Wow. Very, very nice. Well, thank you so much for coming here today to tell us about your mother, Dr. Edith Wilkins. Um, and uh, I, I hope that her story and her legacy will be an inspiration to our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you. Bye-bye. Okay, and thank you for listening. You can catch the same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.